Hello and welcome back to our Take Up the Word Bible Study. Uh, we're continuing our look through the, the Gospel according to John. And we've made it to John chapter 1, verse 14. If you were with us last week, uh, we looked a little in-depth at, at verse 14 as we did a brief overview of verses 14 through 18. Uh, but this week, uh, we're going to go back to 14 and then read from 14 to 18 and dig a little bit into verses 15 through 18 this week uh, as we continue to look at uh, the Word become flesh. And as we uh, as we always say here at Take Up the Word, um, this, this ministry exists so that we can supplement your local church. Uh, we want you to be involved in a local church, a local assembly. If you're having a, tr- a hard time finding a good, solid church in your area, um, you can contact us through our YouTube page, uh, through Facebook, uh, however you, you can get through us. Uh, email, uh, you can email us at... Uh, Take up the word at gmail.com. Uh, so if, if you have any questions regarding those things, or even questions regarding these Bible studies, uh, feel free to contact us, and hopefully we can answer your questions, whether it be through uh, a private message, or uh, maybe we'll even do it on a, a podcast episode, or even one of our Bible study uh, episodes here on YouTube uh, or Facebook. So um, without any further ado, let's jump into John chapter 1. If you'll turn in your Bibles with me, John chapter 1. Verses 14 through 18. John 1, 14 through 18. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. So, um, as we looked at last week, uh, the second person of the Trinity, the the eternal Son of God, equal in glory with the Father, uh, as we talked about the fact that uh, the Son uh, receives the same glory as the Father, and God shares his glory with no one else. uh, So this proves... That's one of the one of the proofs that Jesus Christ is in fact God. Uh, but as we looked at, you know, uh, the Son being uh, eternal and equal in glory with the Father, we also looked at the fact that He was full of grace and truth. That He became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, if you, if you missed our, our uh, episode last week, uh, I encourage you to tune into that um, so that we kind of lay a foundation for the rest of this uh, section of Scripture. So this week, we're going to look at the immediate context of verse 14 as we dig into verses 15 through 18. So in verse 15, the, there's a, if, if you, most, most of your Bibles will have this verse in, in parentheses. So, so it's not saying that this verse was put in or added later, but it's a parenthetical statement. It means that this was put in in the context of this um, so that it would make the point uh, as, as we're, we're continuing and digging into this uh, this idea of the word become flesh. So we see this in parentheses that John bore witness about him and he cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. So this parenthetical quotation of John the Baptist here shows that his testimony corroborates John the Apostle's testimony of the eternality of the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. So in John the Baptist's statement, it says, he who comes after me ranks before me 
because he was before me. And maybe this has lost a little bit of its impact in our day, um, because uh, and and let's let's take a little journey of the mind here. Um, that there was a time where mankind regarded that that those who came before them were superior to the to themselves. Uh, they were more superior than than they were. Uh, so your ancestors would be people who were were smarter and superior to you. Um, this may be something we don't see happening today, but in antiquity, men were humble about their own generation. Uh, they oftentimes saw themselves as low and their fathers as higher and wiser than they were. So John alludes to the fact that, yes, he was the forerunner to the Christ, and even though he would be first on the scene chronologically, um, that he came before Jesus, he was the one, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make straight the ways of the Lord. Um, even though he would be there in time before the Messiah, he knew that Jesus was before him in the sense that Jesus eternally existed as God the Son. As we look at John um, 1, 16 through 17, it says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we look at the phrase grace upon grace. And we see that it emphasizes God's wealth of grace towards mankind, and especially to believers. Uh, this is not to say that, that God's grace is not extended in some way or some part to unbelievers, but that it is uh, an, a, special, a special grace that is given to believers, um, a grace that saves, the grace that um, has saved us as we're saved by grace through faith alone, in Christ alone. So when we look at this, uh, this, this phrase, we see grace upon grace, and it, it speaks of the common grace of God. Um, and, and to say common grace is not to say that it's common in the sense that it's second rate. Uh, I know a lot of times we'll say things that, you know, that's, well, you know, he's a common uh, person or, or whatever, and it's basically to say second rate. But common in that it's shown to everyone. Uh, the common grace of God shown to everyone. Um, even as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, that God has caused his son to rise on the evil and on the good. Um, he sends his rain on the just and the unjust. Uh, this is common grace. The, the rain does not uh, just rain on the fields of the farmers of those who are believers. And also, if, you, if they're in the same area uh, where they're getting rain, the unbelievers, their crops will receive the same rain. Uh, so God's grace in common grace is extended even to um, the unbeliever in that sense. So we see grace upon grace, the grace that mankind has been shown through the sending of the incarnate word, through Jesus Christ, through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, and the fact that salvation has been made available as a free gift of God's grace to all those who repent and place their faith in Christ, that is grace upon grace. Uh, we see the common grace but then we see grace upon grace because Jesus Christ came and he accomplished the will of the Father in his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So, when we rewind a little bit, we go to the law. The law of Moses, as, as it says there in verse 17, the law was given through Moses. Um, through the law, we have been well acquainted with this phrase, sorrow upon sorrow. Um, you know, in in the kind of in the 
as a dichotomy to grace upon grace. We see sorrow upon sorrow found in the law because we realize by the law that all fall short of God's perfect righteousness, um, that, that we are not righteous. The law, as it says in Galatians 3, was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It was the thing that would be before us to humble us that even as we said before in uh, Matthew Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, this, this is a humbling thing. And we look at the law, we see it as a mirror. And what it does is it reflects how evil we truly are uh, because we have all been touched and affected by sin. Sin affects every one of us. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So uh, the law was not a display of God's grace, but it was God's demand for holiness. And what we do is we, we look at it, we use it as a measuring rod to see how we don't measure up. And uh, while we see this thing as, as a humbling thing, brings us low and it, it shows us that um, in and of ourselves, uh, it's, it's impossible for us to be holy. It demonstrated the unrighteousness of man and his desperate need of a Savior. We need Jesus Christ. We need, we need the perfect law keeper to die on our behalf. So the law, even in the law, it pointed to Christ because Jesus was not was not just he, he wasn't just a good man. Uh, he is the eternal Son of God. He was uh, even even as uh, we we look at it, the, the seeing the law, it only revealed a part of the truth. But the revelation of the Word become flesh of Jesus Christ was the revealing of the fullness of truth. And Jesus said that he, he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. So when we look at those scriptures, when we see that, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He fulfilled the law in every way. And even as uh, he was baptized, um, this, this is one, one of the wonderful things that um, we see in scripture. Jesus Christ was baptized by John the Baptist. He said that he did that in order to fulfill all righteousness. This was a righteous requirement of God. Um, at the time when John the Baptist came on the scene, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, he says, be baptized and for the remission of your sins so that, that we, you know, it was a washing away of sin um, as a picture of, of pointing to Christ and Jesus Christ. Even though he was sinless, the righteous requirement was to be, bap to be baptized. So, um, Jesus came as not only the one who perfectly kept the law, but he atoned for our sin. He was the atoning sacrifice. He was our sin bearer. Um, he died the death that we deserve to die. And he took our sin upon himself, even though he never once even committed a sin. Uh, this is a, a wonderful, beautiful thing that we see. It's called the imputed. Um, our sin was imputed to Christ. It was laid on his account so that he would die, so that his righteousness could be credited to our account for all who repent and trust in him. So, we look at uh, Jesus Christ coming as our sin bearer, as one who died the death that we deserve to die, and he atoned for our sin. When he, when he breathed his last breath on the cross, he, he uttered the word, in, 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 its, um, in Greek it's tetelestai, um, meaning it is finished. Uh, the the like more accurate rendition of that would be paid in full. Uh, the sin debt that was owed 
was paid in full on on Christ on the cross. So when we see that the death was paid in full, or, or the debt was paid in full by his death, his resurrection shows that the payment for our sin, that payment that was made, was accepted by God the Father, and all who trust in him will have Christ's righteousness credited to their account. So this is what we call the great exchange. It's it's my sin for his righteousness. Talk about grace. Uh, this is inexhaustible grace. This is uh, grace upon grace. This grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. So when we when we dig into the Word of God here, and we see that the law came, the law showed us that we needed a Savior, and through Jesus Christ, grace upon grace came because He was that Savior. Let's look at uh, verse eighteen in John chapter one. John one eighteen says that no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. So when we think about God, God is Spirit. Uh, it says in, I believe, John chapter 4, God is Spirit. Um, I can't see spirits. Okay? Contrary to um, maybe some of the paranormal television shows and things like that that people have seen, um, you know, I can't see a spirit. So God is Spirit and while we see many of God's attributes on display in, in the things that he's made, um, there are certain attributes of God that we cannot see through natural revelation. If, if you were with us since the beginning of this uh, Bible study through the book of John, um, we talked about natural revelation and special revelation or supernatural revelation. Um, natural revelation is what we see around us. Um, God's eternal power and glory, as it says in Romans chapter 1, is on display in the things that he has made. So, while we can see certain attributes of God through natural revelation, we require special divine revelation to grasp the fullness of God's character and his nature. Um, we have God's written word that, that tells us, that, that teaches us, describes these attributes to us. Um, I recently have done a study with, with my family uh, in family worship um, going through some of the attributes of God. And when we look at the attributes of God, we see things like His omniscience. We see things like His omnipotence. We see that God is spiritual, that He is a spirit. Uh, we see mercy. We see, we see God's grace. We see um, uh, lot, lots of different attributes that we cannot see through just natural revelation. Um, and we find these in the Word of God. Um, how, how do we know God knows all things? How do we know that He's omniscient? Well, we look at like like look at uh, um, let's say Jeremiah one five. Um, God says that, that to Jeremiah that before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Um, how can you know me before I'm even formed? God knows all things. Uh, it, it speaks of I, I believe it's Psalm one thirty nine where David says, "I can't go anywhere to get away from your presence. That that you're always present. That you know all things and you are in all places at all times." So it speaks of God's omnipresence. Uh, and, and it talks about the fact that when uh, he was knit together in his mother's womb, that it was God who did it. So we look at all these different things. Um, we see through special revelation in God's word, these attributes uh, of God that we cannot see through special or, or natural revelation. So while we have God's word to describe these attributes, we also have the word that became flesh who has made the nature of the unseen God known to man. Uh, Jesus Christ is the 
the perfect image of God um, in bodily form. Um, we, we don't have to wonder about the nature and personality of God because Jesus Christ put on display the nature and personality of God. Uh, Jesus declared it with both his teaching and his life. And it's not just to say Jesus came on the scene and was like, okay, well, I'm going to tell you what I think God is like. Um, Jesus didn't... He came as God in the flesh. So everything that he was, was a perfect display, a perfect mirroring of God in the flesh. He's not merely God-like. He's quite literally God. So... God revealed himself through the incarnation of Christ. Um, Colossians chapter 2, if you'll turn there with me, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians, if you go through, it's uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians. Then you get into Galatians, Ephesians, um, Philippians, and then Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. In the New Testament, verse 9. It says, For in Him, speaking of Jesus, for in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So when we look at uh, John 1, 18, uh, it, it makes a statement, that this, this phrase in there, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. At the Father's side, or um, the King James, I believe, renders it uh, in the bosom of the Father. Um, this shows the closeness of relationship between the Father and the Son. But it also speaks of the oneness of essence of the Father and the Son. Um, oneness of essence. Uh, Jesus is God just as much as the Father is God. Uh, this, is, this is at the heart of Trinitarian doctrine. And, and we also know that um, through through Scripture and through God's special revelation to us, that the Holy Spirit is also God. So, while they exist separately in person, they are one in essence. Uh, the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father, and vice versa. But the Father is God. The Son is God. And the Holy Spirit is God. Uh, this, this, is, this is a brief, quick, explanation of the trinity Um, the father is god the son is god the holy spirit is god but the father is not the son the son is not the holy spirit the holy spirit is not the father and and it continues in that cycle so you could say that the holy spirit is not the son and that the son is not the father so when we look at this um at the father's side in the bosom of the father it's really showing that oneness of essence between Father and the Son, and, and really of the Spirit as, as we uh, continue to look at God's Word and see that the Spirit also eternally existed with the Father and Son. Um, as it says that the uh, Spirit eternally proceeds from the Father and the Son. So uh, the phrase that we have translated here, even as we continue reading, He has made Him known. Um, made Him known, or other translation says, declared Him the only God who's at the Father's side Jesus Christ, speaking of of the Son, has made him known. It comes from the Greek word exugeomai. And this is where we get the term, uh, we we use it in uh, English and theologians use it. uh, And this would be a good thing to ask your 
um, ask your pastor, um, do you do exegesis? We get the, the term exegesis from this word, exegeomai. Um, so exegesis carries with it the idea of leading or drawing out um, or, or to unfold a teaching. So this, this word exegeomai, in drawing out or leading out, um, let, let's put this into kind of a perspective. Um, we'll use an analogy of the Word of God uh, to, to get us to understand what Jesus Christ has done in making the Father known. Um, those who, who want to stay true to what the Bible says, they use, we use, um, I'm one who, who loves biblical exegesis, um, we'll use exegesis to draw out from the text what it's saying to present an understanding from the context. Uh, we, we, we're not trying to read our own thoughts into it. We're, we're not reading our own feelings into it. We're not trying to uh, take those things that society and culture has shaped us in and um, read those into the text, but instead to gain a more accurate understanding of what God was actually saying in the actual text, we just explain what the text actually says. I know that that's quite a, quite a thought found thought there um, and this is this is where many times I've visited churches um, I've been to different churches and and there's times I want to just stand up raise my hand and say pastor can you just explain to me what the text says um, I, I don't need your I don't need your clever little anecdotes I don't need your stories about your life um, just tell me what the word of God says uh, I, I'd love to get to know you and, and we could do that on personal terms but you know Sunday morning is the time for God to speak to us through his word and you are his mouthpiece, so shut up about yourself and just tell me what the word says. Uh, explain the text. So, Jesus, much in the same way, did not come as God in the flesh to tell us who God is to him. He, he didn't come to try to explain to us who he thought God was, or to give us his own interpretation of who God was based on his feelings and his, his experiences, but to truly and rightly represent God in truth, through his own character, his own nature, and his own teaching. Um, just, just like a preacher who rightly handles the truth of God by declaring what is written about God, about who he is, about what he's done, um, without coming up with, with some sort of new interpretation or bringing his own feelings to the text, Jesus only displays the truth of who God is. He, he's, not, he's not coming up with some sort of clever um, feeling and experience to say, well, you know, here I was in all eternity with, with God the Father, and, you know, to me, he's just like this big teddy bear. Well, he didn't do that. He was a perfect representation of who God is. So, here's the thing. If you want to know God, you want to know who he is, you want to, you want to deepen your understanding and your relationship with him, study the life of Christ found in the Word of God. Um, get to know who God really is and what he's done for us. Because here's here's the the fact. This is this is in in essence what we're saying in all these verses right here that we've studied this week. Jesus Christ has made him known. Study his word. Get to know who Christ is, and you'll know who God is. Because Christ has made him known.